Welcome, everyone, to episode four of the Lee Schools TV podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wright. Thank you for joining us. And before we begin, I wanted to quickly go over a review of why we started this podcast series in the first place. We wanted to give you all uh, an unfiltered, transparent, and informative look at some important things going on behind the scenes here at the School District of Lee County, giving you a lot of context, unedited, long-form conversations. You won't really find these types of conversations anywhere else. And we're excited about this series, and we hope you're learning about the school district, and we hope that you enjoy these conversations as well. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our next guest, Mark Mora, Executive Director of Operational Planning and Project Management. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Adam. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So Executive Director of Operational Planning and Project Management. What exactly does that mean? What do you do? That's a great question. Very long title, but to uh, (laughs) summarize it, uh, it's basically overseeing the growth in the district from a facilities perspective, making sure that we have appropriate number of uh, seats or schools uh, where the growth is occurring well into the future. You brought your hard hat, I see. Yeah, so one of the departments that I oversee uh, is the facilities department, which is responsible for the construction of our schools, new schools, uh, renovations and upgrades to things like uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning projects. Okay. So I want to start talking about what you already mentioned, growth. We're seeing unprecedented growth here in, in Lee County as far as student population goes, right? Correct. Can you put it into perspective for me and break it down by numbers? What are we What are we dealing with? Because it really has an impact on, on what you do. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we've returned to our pre-recession uh, growth numbers. We're seeing between 1,000 to 1,800 students uh, per year over the last nine years. Uh, last year, we saw a small dip in our enrollment, uh, probably because of Hurricane Irma. So a lot of those folks had left the area. But uh, this coming year, or this year that we're in right now, we have saw a lot of those students return. So we're expecting that our enrollment will continue to grow strong uh, well into the future. And you're correct uh, to mention that it does have an impact on the area that I work in, uh, primarily because we have to ensure that we have a seat for every kid in areas in which they live. Uh, so it's very important for us to do some long-range planning as well as some short-term every school year. Now, 1,000 to up to 18, 1,900 or so students coming into the district every year, on average, uh, that's the equivalent of about a high school's worth of students, right? Yes, absolutely. Our growth is equivalent to about a school a year. Unfortunately, we can't keep that pace as far as construction construction's concerned. So what are you working on? What are some, some plans? I know um, you have some enrollment projections, right? Absolutely. What do those projections look like? Well, we've uh, just finished up the Bonita Springs High School project, mm-hmm. uh, providing some um, you know, really highly needed seats in the south zone. But that uh, demand continues, particularly in our east zone, where we've seen a lot of growth uh, at the high school level as well as the middle school level. So right now, we are working on the high school MMM project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be opening up a high school on Gateway site uh, in 2021. Uh, in addition to that, we have six other schools in the works. Uh, two elementaries, two middles, and two rebuilds. And uh, when I mention rebuilds, we're looking at schools that are beyond their economical life. Uh, Franklin Park Elementary is one of them. Cypress Lake Middle is the other. Yeah, so uh, we put out a story about those two schools and the need for those to be rebuilt um, a few months ago. But can you give a quick recap about those two schools, you know, kind of when they were built and Mm -hmm. the... um, 
problems, I guess, that they're they're facing and the need for them to be rebuilt? Sure. You know, both those schools are amongst the oldest schools in our inventory, uh, built in the 1960s. Uh, we've had engineers take a look at those structures as well as the systems, and they've made a determination that beyond their, they're beyond their economical life. They're just not uh, feasible economically to keep open and operating as we are now. Um, so what we're planning to do there is to raise them and to rebuild them uh, with the opportunity to add more seats in those areas as well would be advantageous to the district. Now these, you mentioned MMM in Gateway. Um, there's also the two elementary schools and the two middle schools you mentioned. And Lehigh Senior High School is getting an addition, right? Yes, that is correct. Can you go over that a little bit? What? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Lehigh Senior High School in Riverdale have seen a lot of growth in the past couple of years. And to address that growth, we have uh, deployed portables on those campuses uh, in excess of 12, 14 on each of those campuses. And it gets to a point where it's prohibitive to add any more. We really don't want our students in portables. It's not the most conducive environment for learning. We'd rather them be inside the school. Uh, so we did embark on a renovation and addition program at Lehigh Senior High School that will ultimately add 715 student stations and bring the total enrollment there to 2,500 when we have the project completed. That will enable us to remove the portables and seat all of the students inside of the school. Uh, we're also enhancing some of the program they have there already. They have the largest JROTC program in the state, if not the nation. We really want to enhance those opportunities for those students that participate in that program. Now. You mentioned portables. Do you know how many we have total in the district? Yes, we have 206 portables currently deployed. It's a mixture of district-owned portables, portables that we lease, and those owned by the federal government in which we house our pre-K Head Start program. Now, it may be obvious to, to some or most people, but can you kind of go over why it's, it's better for students to be in a main building as opposed to being in a portable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, one of the adva advantages of being in the building is just moving amongst the buildings or in the programs inside the schools. Uh, a lot of our students will have to walk outside during inclement weather, which is you know, not, the, not the best situation. Uh, in the classrooms, they just don't have the same um, amenities as a regular classroom would have. Some of them are equipped with bathrooms. Some of them are not. Uh, a lot of them have been modernized with technology, but definitely not the same environment you have if you were in a classroom inside of the building. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't, they don't last very long, right? No, you know, average life expectancy for portable is about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, th I feel like students probably have more of a, get more of a sense of home and community if they're in the main building with all the other students as opposed to having to go out. I remember when I was in middle school at Gulf Middle School, we, I had a lot of classes in portables there too. And I, I felt kind of detached from the rest of the school a little bit, go, walking outside, going to those portables when everybody else was inside. So is there part of that too, you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, our portable uh, campuses at our schools get nicknames like <laughs> the portable farm or the, uh, the back lot. So yeah, not the most conducive place to have students. And the sense of community obviously is disrupted when they're not inside the building with the rest of their um, classmates. Um, and we, we've, we've done our best to accommodate the students in them. Uh, we've made some um, accommodations as far as uh, ramps and covered awnings so they can travel between the main school building and the portables safely and dry. Uh, but again, not, not what we really ultimately want for our students. Yeah, and it, it's just the fact of the reality that we're in because of the, so much growth that we're seeing that eventually 
some students will have to be put in portables. But the goal is to decrease that number significantly or ideally have zero portables, right? No, you're exactly right. That is our goal is to eliminate portables in our district altogether. Uh, we're not too bad when you compare this school district with other school districts around the state, particularly those that are growing. About 3% of our student stations or seats are in portables right now. There are peer districts that have over 10% of their students uh, housed in portables. So uh, in comparison, we're, we're not too bad, but it's not uh, where we want to end up. And as you start to look at the numbers and the growth that we have, we don't want that to be the solution. Mm -hmm. We want the solution to be more permanent. We believe that building structures, new schools is a better investment for our students in our community. Now, are we the fastest growing district in the state or one of them? Yeah, we're, we're um, amongst the six fastest growing school districts in the state, depending on the year that you're looking at. Uh, but yes, we are a high growth district in the state of Florida, which is a lot to be said because Florida is a fast growing state itself. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do a lot of planning and research into this. So why do you think, what do you see as being the, the biggest factors of why we're growing so quickly and bringing in so many new students into our district every year? Well, I think you look at economy uh, and jobs. I think we have a, a lot of jobs, uh, obviously in the service industry, in construction that attract young families. Uh, and we see that trend in some of our zones. As you know, Adam, we have three assignment zones and we talk in terms of those zones. And the East zone has been our fastest growing zone the last four or five years. Affordability and housing has been an attractor there. And the East zone is? Lehigh Acres, mm -hmm. uh, Alva, uh, parts of Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that has been the fastest growing area. Now, not to say that the other zones haven't grown either. We've really seen the Cape Coral, the West Zone pick up as well. Uh, our economy is strong. Uh, unemployment is low. Um, so we don't foresee the enrollment growth changing. As a matter of fact, even during the recession, we didn't see a large dip in our enrollment. It continued to grow. So we know that's going to be a concern or challenge for us, but it's a challenge that we happily undertake. So we've got you know, increased enrollment uh, leads can lead to more portables, can also lead to larger class sizes themselves, right? What can you tell me about where we are in terms of average class sizes and where we're trying to get to? That's a great point. In the core classes, we're mandated to maintain class size. Uh, we're, we're fortunate because we have a school choice system in the district, which gives us some flexibility. So our class size is, is measured on a school-wide average. Uh, with that said, a lot of the non-core classes have large numbers in them. The enrollment and the uh, scheduling is, uh, is getting to the point where we have a lot of kids in classrooms that probably weren't designed for that many kids. Uh, you mentioned capacity, and our capacity that we have in our schools is uh, slowly diminishing. We have quite a few schools that are over 100% capacity. You know, ultimately, you want something between the 90 and 95% range as far as utilization is concerned. So uh, having increased capacity limits the way that uh, principals can schedule classes. It uh, reduces the flexibility in the programs that they can offer. So there's a lot of things that we need to consider as we grow. Are those things that we want to uh, protect? Um, we'll need to address the capacity issues and add more seats where needed. I'm glad you brought up school choice because I know that's something that you participate in or in, are involved with student mm -hmm. assignment. So how does all this affect the process of student assignment when it comes down to that time of year? And that's a great question. All, a lot of the things that we do in facilities is integrated with other areas of business for the mm -hmm. school district and student assignment is one of them. 
Um, well, the availability of capacity is one of the big drivers. You know, on an annual basis, we do enrollment projections, not just for the district, but for particular schools, looking at how many students are coming into the system for the first time, as well as how many kids are transitioning from one level to another. And a lot of student assignment is driven on how much capacity we have in schools. Uh, so a lot of people have an interest in gaining entry into the school closest to them. And unfortunately, we always don't have the seats for them. So therefore, they're on buses, they're at schools that are further away from the home, not the most uh, optimum condition for them. Uh, but because of our capacity issue, it drives what seats we have available in the lottery. Uh, the success of a student earning a seat in their first choice school is driven by the fact that we have limited capacity in the most popular schools. So all intertwined. And when we start to look at our long range plan, we have to explore more than just where's the growth occurring and where it's occurring, but also what programs are the most popular for our parents, what's best for the community, what works well for transportation so it's efficient and effective. So those are all the variables we need to consider as a facilities planner when we, we talk about adding seats or building new schools. All these variables you mentioned, I mean, the growth and the capacity issues and the need for new schools, it impacts other areas like you just mentioned it can impact school choice because of availability at schools so uh, can you put into words uh, people listening to this or watching this podcast who may be thinking well i don't live in the certain zone and uh, this doesn't affect me all this growth my school's fine or whatever but it, it really can have far-reaching effects in a bunch of different areas right that can impact all students no you're absolutely right because our our resources are limited um and our money is limited um, so when you have a school that's operating over capacity, the building gets used more, has higher maintenance needs, uh, has additional capital needs, uh, the placement of portables at those campuses to address growth, take resources away from other, other schools in our district, uh, has, a, has an impact on transportation uh, and the number of routes we have and the number of drivers we need to hire. Um, so yes, good point that uh, growth in one area obviously has an effect in others. So you mentioned money. I know that's a big, big topic du jour. And can you explain, so all these projects that we're going to MMM in, in Gateway, the, the four, the two new elementary schools and two new middle schools, the Franklin Park and Cypress Lake Middle rebuilds, these all obviously cost money. Where is the money coming from and how does it relate to the impending referendum in November? Adam, you just pointed out one of our greatest challenges is capital revenue. And as we had talked before, the enrollment continues to grow, but our revenue continues to decline, particularly on the capital side of things, both from the state and local. So our challenge yeah. is finding where are we going to get the revenue to build these schools? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes our answer is borrowing the money, but there is a capacity to borrowing. Um, so it's a challenge not just for the school district, but the community to start wrapping their heads around to how are we going to keep up with the growth. And the school district is not the only organization that is impact, impacted by growth. You know, obviously we have roads, parks, libraries, um, emergency services. So it's something that our community needs to kind of collaborate and rally around to determine how are we going to educate the future. Mm -hmm. So if the, talking about the half cent sales tax referendum in November, if that if that did not, if that doesn't pass, what would that mean for for you and what you do? Yeah, that, that's something that we have already started to plan for. Um, it would be great, obviously, if the referendum passes and we get that additional capital to address needs. However, we as a district have to plan in the case that it doesn't. Uh, so there's many different ways to approach how do we add the seats without incurring 
uh, more debt or needing more revenue. Um, you know, some of them are, uh, I would say, very drastic things that we could do, and we have done it in the past. In districts that have grown quickly and not had the space for the students, uh, we, you know, things like such that. as double sessions, um, split sessions, uh, blended learning, where we introduce some virtual uh, classes so that students are all, aren't always on campus. Um, breaking the class size, growing the enrollment in some of our core classes, and compensating with a co-teacher to bring the number and average down. Now, these aren't all optimum things that we want to do, and obviously we do not want to do them, but if, the, if, if, if we don't improve the revenue, uh, these are things that we're going to have to seriously contemplate. Uh, portables also have been a solution in a lot of districts. Uh, when you start doing some cost-benefit analysis, however, uh, long-term, they're, they're not a very good investment. Um, so uh, we're, we're putting plans together. Whether we get the referendum passed successfully or if we don't, we're going to need, it's our responsibility uh, to seat these students as our enrollment grows. So all this being said, you mentioned before in our discussion before we started the podcast that as times change, you have to adapt as there's some how has the approach to constructing new schools changed is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, in this, in this new environment or this new market for construction, it's imperative that uh, we, we stay ahead of trends, that we monitor the market, that we do really good estimations for what it's going to cost to build a school. Um, to that end, we've changed the process. We, uh, in the past, have brought a total project cost to our board members for approval without engaging with architects, engineers, and construction managers on a project, and we've totally turned that around. So we are now entering pre-construction phases prior to bringing a total project cost together. So what that means is that we're engaging architect, engineer, owner, the school district, as well as the construction manager in a collaborative and synergetic environment so that we can come up with the best solution and the most economical way to build and deliver schools on time. Now, without getting too far into the weeds, uh, I know just Bonita Springs High School just opened, and can you explain to people what that process was like from beginning to end, getting all the research and planning done through construction, uh, maybe in a, in a nutshell if you could, but I know there were some some issues along the way, but for the people who don't really realize just how much planning and research and work goes into a project of that magnitude, because you're in the process of doing that now for a few other schools, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that project was definitely a, uh, a learning lesson for all of us in the school district. Um, it really all started from the fact that we didn't have the appropriate property in the South Zone to address our growth needs. And uh, I'll hopefully be able to touch on this later that we have a strategic plan for our property so that we don't have that challenge again. But the uh, arduous task of finding property conducive to a school in that area was uh, challenge number one. Um, challenge number two was the actual process we used to construct schools and uh, bring in an estimate in front of our board prior to us engaging with the people that would actually build it. Uh, so that led to some underestimation of how much it would cost. Uh, our lack of monitoring inflation, which has grown wildly in this area, 10 to 12 percent annually as we've embarked on our new projects. Those are things that we've learned that we need to, to improve, and we have improved in our current projects. Um, so lessons learned at Benita Springs High School I think will serve us well going forward. 
Uh, we were able to deliver that project uh, on time, and it's a uh, beautiful school, and it's going to serve as a prototype for what we can do into the future. It's the type of environment we want our students to learn in, and we know that's something that will be uh, in our community for years to come. So uh, hard lessons learned, but I think in the very end, that's the, the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, so we've implemented processes and protocols that will uh, help decrease the chances of something like Benina Springs High School and the approach we use there uh, occurring uh, in the future. Speaking of it being a prototypical school that other schools in the future will be monitored or uh, modeled after, can you explain some of those uh, things that Benita Springs has that other schools we'd like to see have in the future? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we put a lot of thought in in the design of that school. It's unlike any other that we have in the inventory. Uh, the campus setting was done um, done on purpose. Uh, we wanted to move away buildings such as the auditorium and the gymnasium away from the main core academic building so that we can encourage community use and be able to secure where students would be housed uh, from those spaces. So it allows us a lot of flexibility in the facility itself. Um, it was also a great exercise in improving security. Uh, you know, unfortunate events in Parkland made us refocus our uh, our work on how do we secure the schools safely and economically. So we've implemented things there that we have not implemented, but will be implementing in our other high schools uh, with a little bit more sophisticated uh, surveillance, using artificial intelligence to make them a little bit more uh, proactive in their approach to securing schools. Single point of entry is a, a strong point in that design. Um, I just thought there was a lot more uh, thought put into how the building should function, and how do we safely educate students. And again, that is the model and the prototype moving forward. Uh, as this school year begins, we've started to implement some of those ideas in other high schools and middle schools, ultimately elementary schools. And on the high school MMM project, you'll see a lot of the same things that we have implemented at Benita Springs High School and that campus. One of the, the amazing things I thought of about Benita Springs High School was their media center and the fact that it doesn't have any books. It's all digital. Is that something that we're moving more towards, especially in high schools? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we design a school, one of the things that we, we always consider is what are the academic needs of the students, not just in the district, but in that particular zone. And working closely with our academic services team, um, in getting direction because in architecture, form falls function. So understanding the function of spaces like the media center and the cafeteria, it's important for us to listen so that we're designing spaces that are more conducive to students now than in the past. So the media center is an example of that going digital, all digital, uh, removes the need for having books uh, and it makes it more efficient for students to access information. Uh, actually reduces the amount of space we need for, the, for books and periodicals and things they like don't, that. They don't even have lockers. Yeah, Because no all lockers. their textbooks are digital. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Everything on the Chromebook. Mm -hmm. um, that's another trend that we saw. We've uh, worked with principals in other high schools and determined that students just don't use the lock rooms. Uh, lockers, I'm sorry. And a lot of schools have proceeded with removing lockers and uh, creating spaces for students where they can charge their iPhone or, or iPad. Um, so moving into the technology age and making sure that our schools reflect the needs of the students. It's a different world we live in. Today. Absolutely. I know some people might find it strange that there's no books in the media center or that the kids don't have lockers that they fill with physical textbooks. But I can remember in high school sometimes having what felt like 50 pounds of books in my backpack hauling it through the hallways so that might be nice for the kids not having to lug around big heavy books all the time uh, moving moving on to uh, again to talk about mmm because well t 
going back to Bonita Springs, so the, the planning for Bonita Springs High School started way back when? I would say that the planning for Bonita Springs High School started probably in 2013. 2013, and so, so and then it finally opened just uh, a couple this weeks is ago. This past year, so it's yeah. a five-year process. Now, now, it's not typically that long. Mm -hmm. of a, I mean, we, we understand that our needs in advance, but mm -hmm. typically it's not a five-year uh, cycle to, to put a high school out there. We had a lot of um, work to do in finding the location, as I mentioned earlier, and also identifying the um, most appropriate funding for the school kind of elongated the schedule. So um, MMM, I, I truly believe, will be a um, much more efficient process. So what, where do we stand with MMM? When is that expected to be completed and, and open? So August 21 is when this, August of 2021 is when that facility will open. However, we'll do something we did similar at Benita Springs High School and stage the freshman class in a portable uh, campus on Lehigh Senior High School's campus. So freshmen in August of 2020, and then we'll have sophomores and freshmen August of 2021. Now there, there is a capacity need in the East Zone that might force us to open up the school to all grade levels when we open the doors. Mm -hmm. So where, what phase of the planning process are we in right now? So we're in the, the pre-construction phase. We have the architect, the engineer, as well as the construction manager fully engaged. Uh, we've just got through uh, conceptual design and we're into the document, uh, design document phase now. Um, so site planning has pretty much been finalized. So we, we know how, to, how the school will be sited, which is an important exercise and one that, will, that required community engagement. Uh, we want to mitigate noise, light, particularly from the, the sports fields. So, so where exactly will it be? Located? It's going to be on uh, Griffin Drive and uh, State Route 82. It'll be right on that corner. So it'll have a prominent place in that community. But it was real important for us to listen to the Homeowners Association um, in regards to what their concerns and issues were. Our team has uh, attended Homeowner Association meetings where we've provided updates on where we are with the design. We actually shared the site plan and design with them in our last meeting. Um, so we really want to listen and mitigate as best we can any concerns that they have. So our site plan was largely driven off of some of the input from the communities and our desire to mitigate any of the uh, concerns they have. Um, so the location of bus entrance, uh, car, vehicular entrances, those type of things were all determined based on input. Is there anything cool or interesting or new about MMM that you that people might not know about that you'd like to share? Or is um, it still too early? Yeah, we're still, again, in, in the pre-construction <laughs> yeah. phase, but from a program point of view, I believe the academy concept, similar to what we have at Benina Springs High School, will be present there on that campus as well. And our academic team is in the, in the mode of, of developing those academies. And I think there'll be an exciting opportunity for students to engage in things such as cybersecurity, um, leadership. Uh, we're really trying to uh, address, not just from a facility perspective, but a program perspective, things that the community is interested in, particularly the students and parents. What do you think having a, a brand new high school in that community, what kind of benefits will that bring the community? Well, you know, high school brings a, a, a lot of spirit and, and a lot of pride into a community. Um, we always want to talk about athletics, but, you know, a lot of them envision being at a football game on Friday night and you have a school right there in your neighborhood. It's a source of pride. But uh, beyond that, um, you know, education is, is, is something that's important to not only the school district, but our community. Uh, educating children improves our, our, so many, our community in so many ways. 
from an economic and environmental standpoint, uh, it is something that the community has an interest in. And um, I'm really proud to be part of the development of these schools so that we can educate a, our future. And you mentioned meeting with homeowners associations and community groups. So I wanted to transition. I know you mentioned that community partnerships in, in planning new schools and new projects is, is crucial, right? Absolutely. So what all goes into making sure that you're talking to the right people and hearing them out and taking what they recommend into consideration? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of parties involved and yeah. a lot of folks um, think it's the district and the architect and the construction manager. And in reality, it's uh, it takes a, a whole community to build a school. Our and you're not, you're not just finding a spot on a map and said, okay, we're going to build Correct. it there. Yeah. <laughs> I think those days are far gone, and we, we really have to engage on many different fronts. Uh, the municipality we're building the school in, so in the case of MMM, it's the, the county, the Lee County. Mm -hmm. uh, in the case of Benita Springs High School, it was Benita Springs, and engagement with their planning department, making sure that our development fits into their comprehensive plan for their community, working with the city manager, working with the DOT, Department of Transportation, uh, Public Works. All of those efforts have to be coordinated so that our project fits into the complete plan for the community. Uh, so that includes residents as well, engagement with businesses. Uh, at Benita Springs High School, that project, we uh, partnered also with uh, the Chamber of Commerce. So those are all aspects of the community that are, are required to deliver a successful project. Now, building new schools is one thing, but there's also the aspect of maintaining the schools we currently have. I know that's not exactly your specific area of expertise, but you deal with it, mm -hmm. right? So what can you tell me about what goes into maintaining the schools we have and why that's important? Well, that, that's a great point, Adam. Um, you know, keeping up with growth is one thing, but maintaining our, our aging buildings is another challenge. Uh, average age of our buildings is now 35 years. Uh, typically a building's average age is about 50, their life expectancy. So a lot of the systems in our buildings require constant maintenance. A lot of them are failing. Uh, in a climate that we live in, HVAC or air conditioning is probably one of the uh, systems that we are uh, challenged with most. So keeping up with rotational maintenance has been a challenge, but we don't have the money to do that. So a lot of projects get pushed out or not addressed at all. Um, and unfortunately, failures in those systems really deteriorate the environment our students learn in. Um, so that's, that's something that we really need to um, keep an eye on. And while we don't have the revenue to do that, our maintenance department does a wonderful job of addressing issues as they happen. But that's probably not the best approach. You want to put things on a rotational uh, maintenance program, a preventative maintenance, so that it doesn't get to a catastrophic point. Uh, so along with keeping up with growth, keeping up our buildings and conditions that are optimal for student learning is, is one of our other great challenges. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it because of the decrease in funding we're getting from the state? Have, have, has your our department had to make some budget cuts in certain areas to deal with that? Yeah, we, we absolutely have. You know, if you look at the operational budget over the last three or four years, it has decreased steadily, our operational budget as well as the capital budgets. Uh, so we're doing more with less people, for one, and two, we're pushing off projects that shouldn't be done and basically uh, repairing things or addressing issues as they happen. So definitely we've had an impact to how we maintain our buildings 
uh, due to the lack of the revenue for that purpose. What kind of effects do you do you think that has on what we're able to do? Well, you know, some of the things are more aesthetic, uh, keeping up with uh, uh, paint, painting our schools, both interior and exterior, replacement of carpets. That's another thing that becomes very apparent when you don't have the dollars to do. Uh, the condition of our grounds, uh, irrigation, um, those are all things that you can see which might not have a, um, a system issue or a structural issue in the school, but the, from a pure aesthetic standpoint, those are things we just can't keep up with because we don't have neither the resources nor the money to do them. Is there anything else that we haven't gotten to? Any other projects you're working on that you're excited about that you want to talk about or any other topics? Now, just um, one of the things that uh, we've set as a goal for the school district is really put together a comprehensive facilities work plan that takes into consideration all of the variables that we've discussed in our conversation, not just the need for new seats because we have growth, but also the need for system upgrades, the ever-changing environment for teaching and learning. Uh, those are things need to be all considered as we start to design schools going forward um, and all have a great impact on what achievement our students are able to do uh, in the classroom. If you could for me, again, bringing it back to growth, if you could just kind of put into one last nugget or perspective of just kind of where you see us now, the the, the biggest issues we're facing as a district and and where you see us going forward in the future, if you could. Absolutely. I, I Some people will look at the uh, capital revenue as a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. I think it's going to make us uh, think a lot deeper on the issue and come up with innovative solutions. Um, you know, we sometimes when you're in conditions like we are, you come up with solutions that are have not been thought of before. So I think we have an opportunity to rethink what the environment is for, for learning. Uh, how do we maximize what we have for space already in our inventory? How do we repurpose some of the schools we have now to make them more conducive and also to increase their capacity? We have a lot of that going on already. We have very creative principals have, that have already figured out how to use the space that they have very innovatively. And I think we can take some of those concepts and challenge ourselves to better utilize what we have and better design what we will have into the future. The traditional thinking of what a school should look like and how it should function, it's going to be challenged by the fact that we don't have the revenue to build the same type of schools we have in the past. So this is an opportunity for the school district of Lee County to be innovative in the way that they design facilities and the way that they utilize facilities. It's also going to push us for innovative ways that we can create new revenue streams. And you know, good examples of those things that we already have in place are the naming rights or using and leveraging the facility rental program. Um, there are opportunities there that we just need to think a little bit more deeper and uh, thoroughly maximize. Can we talk about that real quick? The, the naming rights initiative and... Um the other thing you mentioned, yeah, absolutely, uh, what it, what what that is and what it means for our district. Yeah, naming rights is a, a really great opportunity for us to engage the community, particularly businesses. It's a win-win situation. Um, obviously, businesses like the opportunity to advertise, but we also like the opportunity to earn additional revenue on top of what we already get from the state and local. 
Um, so particularly at the high school level, our expenses for athletics and extracurricular activities could be funded from naming rights. Uh, you know, the two recent contracts that we signed with Lee Health and uh, Fast AC at Estero High School are great examples of what naming rights can do and to help schools, if not the district. So, you know, it took a little time to get the momentum with the naming rights, but I think, you know, get two or three in, mm -hmm. in place and I, I think it'll continue to grow. Uh, facilities rental, you know, these buildings that we own are a uh, asset and they're an asset not only because they service our kids as far as education is concerned but for a lot of period of time during the year they sit idle with nothing going on inside of them um, so you know there's a potential there to increase what we already do with facility rentals allowing the community to rent our facilities be it a classroom a media center a football field a gymnasium earn the revenue but also engage our community in using our facilities uh, so yeah Corporation company paying money to have a high school football stadium named after with their name on it, and that money goes to the school district to, you know, help benefit our students. Just a couple a couple examples of some of the outside the box thinking. Absolutely, that we're doing here. Okay, Adam, if if I could, I'd, absolutely. Uh, one of the other things that we're approaching is looking at our inventory of properties. Uh, we have twenty six properties in uh, our inventory currently. A lot of them were bought during the the, the height of the real estate market. Mm -hmm. Uh, some in great spots where students will live well into the future and some in not as advantageous spots. So we have engaged working with a broker to identify what properties that we might be able to market and sell and buy in a more advantageous spot. So uh, again, using our facilities as an asset, we're using our property also as a leverageable asset and trying to position ourselves in a little, bit, little better spot than we were, for instance, at Benita Springs High School, not having the appropriate property to build a school. And we don't want that to happen into the future. That's costly, uh, and it also has an impact on how quickly we can deliver a school and add the capacity. So being thoughtful in that way as well. In that approach, we're trying to collaborate with both the municipality and other entities. Uh, we talked about affordable housing as being a concern to us, particularly because of teachers and the uh, inability to attract them here because uh, the rental market is just, uh, uh, you know, it's really outrageous here. Trust me, uh, I know. <laughs> so what can the school district do to partner with the entities that are working on that issue? Uh, so again, our property comes into play for that particular matter as well. So well, we're really excited about the, the opportunity to work on a strategic plan for our district property and uh, anticipate bringing that to our school board shortly. And um, hopefully we're just gonna be able to put ourselves in a more advantageous spot for the people that might come in after us. Real quickly, going back to the, I forgot to ask, the, the two new elementary schools and the two new middle schools, where exactly will those be? And so when will they be open? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, the growth being in the E zone. So uh, the elementary and middle uh, that we are planning to deliver uh, those will be in the e-zone on a co-located site. There's a lot of economy to scale when you build an ele elementary and middle on the same property, sharing of bus loops, uh, sharing of central energy plants. Uh, so that ours, that's our intent for those schools there in the e-zone. Uh, in the south zone, we'll also have an elementary and middle. We're targeting the south zone three, which is the furthest part of the south zone in the Benita Estero area. Mm. Uh, again, looking for a, a location on our district property that we can co-locate those facilities. Um, so those are where those are going to be opened. Uh, we're going to target a 21, 2021 uh, opening, August of 2021. All right. 
All right, Mark, anything else you want to talk about? No, I just greatly appreciate the time. Yeah. All right. Mark Mora, Executive Director of Operational Planning and Project Management. Thank you again for joining us. And uh, thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>